I was thinking, um, I don't know why I thought about this, but the older you get, the more prone to mistakes you are. That's just for the older people. So they're, they're going, yeah. But yesterday, uh, we had a great time. We had the marriage union, uh, two of ours now. Sorry, uh, Levi's ours now. And, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, he will be going back home just for a few days and come back to us. But we're getting ready to do the vows. And, and I say now, repeat after me. Um, with this pledge and in token, and Heather says, with this pledge and in token. <laughs> she told on herself. <laughs> I didn't mean for the whole crowd, you know. It just meant for him and her. But, uh, so we all have, you know, we have our times of, of great joy in our mistakes. Amen. Uh, that makes me feel better anyway, Heather. Let's um, go to the word of the Lord this morning. The word of God is so powerful. If we had wrote it, if men just alone had wrote it by their own will, it might carry some impact. There's some great orators out there. There's some men that can move you. I've seen men that can move people to tears. Move them to laughter. But if that's all this scripture was, then it would be very short-lived. But this word of God is an anchor in our soul. It, uh, line upon line and word upon word, concept upon concept. And I believe that all scriptures, God breathed. Everybody say amen to that. Otherwise, let's just take something else. We'll just take a, a magazine and preach out of that. I wonder how many men are doing that these days. Uh, it's amazing the stuff that's coming out. Wow. But we're staying in the Word of God, and so we've got some, we've got some word that we want to deliver this morning, and just, just to bless, just to help, just to encourage. Some of it may be redundant for you, but it's going to be good for you. Be good for you. If you have your scriptures, would you go to Luke, and if not, you don't have uh, your Bible with you or your phone or your laptop or your computer, you can look on the board. So we'll start in Luke, second chapter, and the 48th verse through the 52nd verse. In Luke, the second chapter, in the 48th verse, and then we'll read down to the end of the chapter. And seeing him, they were astounded, and his mother said to him, Child, why did you do so to us? Behold, your father and I were looking for you, greatly distressed. And he said to them, Why did you look for me? Did you not know that I must be busy in the affairs of my father? And they did not understand the word which he spoke to them. And he went with them. And he came to Nazareth, and being subject to them, 
And his mother carefully kept these, all these words in her heart. And Jesus progressed in wisdom and stature and favor before God and men. I want to go to the book of John now, the 17th chapter, and then we'll go back to the 7th. The 17th chapter, I, I want to read in a verse that's so, I believe, misunderstood in a lot of ways, but hopefully we can um, bring a little bit of clarity as the Lord helps us. 17th chapter, the 5th verse, Jesus' prayer, and I'm going to read it just as it lays out here, and we'll, we'll talk about it later, but, and now, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the existence of the world. I revealed your name to the men whom you gave to me. If you go back to John the seventh chapter. And I got to pick up a couple of verses here. I always like to set everything in Scripture so I'm not just, you know, you don't feel like I'm making things up or just projecting my own ideas. But John, the seventh chapter, fourth verse. And. That's not where I want to be. Let me check real quick and see if it's the sixth chapter. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No, it's not the sixth chapter either. I'm sorry. It's the it's fifteenth verse. The seventh chapter, the fifteenth verse. And um, and the Jews marveled, saying. How does this one know letters, not being taught? And Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but of the one who sent me. Now, Lord, we ask you, as we take your word in hand this morning, that we will rightly divide the word of God. Not according to our preconceived ideas or notions. Not according to our dogmas, Lord, but according to your spirit, your word may be revealed in us. I pray that you would touch us, that our faith would even be more secure in you, our Lord. And we give you praise, Jesus. Amen. We've been talking about for some time, um, 27 years to be exact, about becoming like the Lord Jesus. It is incumbent upon us as disciples of this Rabbi Yeshua Jesus that we become like him. This is who he calls. He calls the ones who will become like him. This is the way of the rabbi. And some of you weren't here when we taught about the rabbi and we've been teaching about that. The view of the Lord and how he treated his disciples and really how that he delivered that for not just their generation, but for our generation way down the line, his relationship with his disciples, which are called Talmud, 
This relationship is he picks those who will become like him. It does no good for us to hang out in church and not become like the Lord. It's a waste of time. I've thought about this and probably have said this in the past, but if I were not going to surrender my life and become like my Lord, I wouldn't waste my time in church. Go out and live it up the best I could until I died. But my intention, and I hope your intention this morning, is to become like Him. We kind of closed last week with that verse that said, if we see Him, we can become like Him. If He is revealed, we can become what we see in Him. So we do our best to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's our duty as followers of Him to become like our Lord. And so I want to clear up just one side of this this morning. I, I think when we talk about becoming like the Lord, we may, have, we may have some ideas, some opinions of what we think that might be about. I think church members, the masses of church members, when you say to be like Jesus, we think about Him in His ministry. We think about some things about his ministry. This is how I want to be like the Lord. I want to be like him because he had such knowledge. I mean, his knowledge was surpassing anybody of his day. His knowledge of Scripture. His knowledge of the way of the Lord. His knowledge of of life itself. It was just amazing. His wisdom. The way he answered people. The way they came at him. He always had an answer. He always outthought them. He always had the wisdom of God in his life. And power. We think about power. All of you that have experienced much of Pentecost in your life, a lot of it is just about we want the power. We want the power to heal. We want the power to raise people up. We want the power to uh, cast out devils. We want power because Jesus had power. And if I'm going to be like him, then I want power in my life. He was the greatest man of faith to ever walk this earth. And so we can look at him and say, if I'm going to be like Jesus, then I want the faith of Jesus in my life who could literally speak things into existence, who could make things that were not as though they are, who could take literally nothing and create out of his hand. And so the faith to speak, the faith to understand the Word of God and to to so-called make it work. There's a lot of people that want faith to make the Word of God work. If you know how to work it, it will work for you. And I've heard all of these things, and I know that you have too. But I'm thinking about this, and the Lord says in my spirit, but who wants to be like him from Luke 2 to Luke 4? It's a time we really don't know too much about Jesus. I I think it's passed over because it's the quiet years. We found him, I just read, we found him in the temple. There he was. Uh, talking with the the priest and and the scribes and Pharisees and lawyers and his answers and his questions 
really amazed them that this young man at 12 years old had the, the, the inquisitive nature to know and to understand, and his, his questions were good. And, but that's the last time we see him before Luke 4 when it says that he went to the Jordan where John was. We don't have any record of 18 years. It's like 18 years of anonymity. 18 years of insignificance. He's the Christ. He was born the Christ. Can you say amen? The angel said, go find him in the manger. The Christ is born this day. He was the Christ at birth, but yet he's not manifested as the Christ yet. I believe in the, in the life of Jesus, this thing called progressive manifestation. Um, as a little child, and, and the Catholic Church believes this, that they have a, a book of infancy that all the miracles that Jesus did when he was a little child, it's a book of foolishness and lies. There is no record in the gospel. There's no record of the writers of this Bible that we revere. There's other people that wrote things, but we don't revere that. We don't call it the truth. How that Jesus took little, little clay in his hands, and he just a little boy, and he threw it in the air, and a dove would take off. And, and they even believed that when they washed him in his bathing water, that they would take the bathing water and pour it over sick folks, pour it over people that had leprosy, and, and they would be healed. That's fallacy. That, that's just some kind of crazy supposition that really is not the truth. He lives 18 years of common life. I tell you what, sometimes we're so impatient, the American people, you know, it's almost like we can't live common life. I heard this, this uh, song and I sent it to my kids. I listened to, to the bluegrass stuff. It's clean, good. Whole, there's more gospel in that than, than in than Christian radio a lot of times. And uh, so here comes this song on here. I'm going back to the simple. I'm taking my life back. What was it called? The bringing simple back. And so I sent it to Heather. I sent it to Rodney. I sent it to everybody. And this, this, is, this is our theme. We're bringing back the simple. But most people don't want simple. We want advanced. We want big. We want flashy. We want to be entertained. We want to think. But 18 years the Lord lives the common, simple life. I believe He does no more than work. Help His Father in whether that was carpentry or bricklaying, however that may go, artisan work. They may have had a shop where they built furniture. and We don't know that. But we knew, do know that they referred to him as a carpenter, re referred to him as this not the son. In one place they said, is this not the carpenter from Nazareth? And so no fancy doing, no big lights and cameras in action, nothing like that for 18 years. He's merely helping his family, and at that time everybody pitched in to make the ends meet. There wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of stuff. They more or less got by. And I think Jesus was a part of that. So apparently the gospel writers 
did not have any insight into those 18 years because the gospel writers don't tell us anything about it. So nothing is recorded for us to know from them. But yet there is something that I want to bring this morning that, that we believe the writer of the book of Hebrews helped us. Some people believe, and there's a doctrine called the doctrine of adoption, that Jesus was just a good boy. And that he just led a good little young life and that he was a better man. And through his young adult years, and he turned 20, and he's going up to 30 years old now, just an upstanding citizen, a really good young man who feared God, and so God adopted him. And by his adoption, he became the son of God, the Messiah. Uh, that is demonic. The Scripture teaches us how and where and why and when and who. It was designed. His life was designed. The prophets spoke of his life. The prophets foretold of where he would be born, who his lineage was. The prophets spoke about him, his ministry, about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension on high. There wasn't anything left to chance in the life of Jesus. Can you say amen? Just sort of, you know, wandering through life. No, and I don't believe it in these 18 years. He's just living by chance. There's something going on during this time that we need to know about. I need to know about. I'm going to tell you something. It's not wrong to just live your life and to live it good without any great things happening. We've been encouraged by, you know, we came from, the whole Bethel area where you walk your, your life full of miracles, signs, and wonders every day. And I just do not believe that. I believe that you're going to live more times that you don't see a miracle than times you ever do see a miracle. But your faith is going to be walked out day by day by day. And you may not feel a thing. You may not see anything great. In fact, sometimes you'll get down in prayer and you may not even feel like you got through. But our faith in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with what's happening day to day. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith because Christ is our Lord. And we continue to walk for Him. Brother Jake, whether we see a miracle in your body, whether we see what we want to happen or not, Brother Jake has to walk by faith every single day. And we're encouraging that. And from the outside, it's easy for us. I'm not where you are, Jake. We're walking by faith, just living, living the good life in Jesus Christ. So, the information about these 18 years prior to him being baptized and anointed, if we can find it, do you think it would be applicable to us? If we are to be like Jesus, well, I want to be like his ministry. Wait a minute. A lot of people want to be like Jesus, but don't want to go where he went. To get like he was. 
that's, that's an easy thing, you know, to look at people and want to be like them but don't know where they've been in life. Don't know the struggles, don't know the things that they went through. So people want to have what he has, what he had, but they don't want to go where he went. Want the easy way to get what he had. There is no easy way. You know, I've seen kind of all my life, I've, uh, you know, our background, and we've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen numbers of preachers that were sent out just novice, no, no background, no foundation to stand on, and novice and just sent out. Well, you just go out by the Spirit of God and laid hands on them and and it looked like everything was going in the right direction. Just go out and pastor of church. Go out and evangelize. Go out. And then a lot of them ended up defeated. And a lot of them ended up not even serving the Lord. I, I just don't believe that God's going to send you out until you're ready. We've got this, this little thing that we say. Some were sent. And some just went. The ones that just went, they didn't stay very long. It's the ones that were sent. The word apostle. We want to talk about in this day, we've got all this apostolic movement going on in the world today. Apostolic. But the word apostle means to stop and to stay there until you're sent. And this, this movement that's going on isn't anything about that. It's about the power thing. It's about the glory. It's about the position and all of that stuff that they may be able to prophesy and say a word and do a thing and everybody say yes and, and oh, it's just big time and this and that and the other and a lot of money coming in, a lot of stuff, a lot of influence. There is no easy way to where he is. So... Again, Lord, I want to be like you. I just don't want to go through what you went through. And Paul says, oh, that I might know him, right? Remember, right, the last of his life. Uh, that I might know him, what, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Anybody here likes to suffer? I don't like it. I don't like suffering for 15 minutes if Kay doesn't have dinner ready. I mean, good grief. The suffering. The apostle said, listen, you guys shut up. You haven't suffered to blood yet. We don't understand suffering very well. It's not a term that works good with the American way. The American way is don't suffer. All you got to do is turn on the TV. They'll give you every answer why you should not suffer. Oh, you got a problem? Take this. Uh, but we have to list that you might have fits of shaking, terrible dandruff, your toenails might fall out, but you're going to feel better. We got something for that too. And so it just goes on and on. Just feel better. Don't suffer. You deserve. Most commercials talk about you deserve. 
to feel better. You deserve to have stuff. It's just, oh my goodness. What we deserve is to pattern our life after Jesus. So I want to look at this in Philippians, the second chapter. You, you, you know it. You can go there and look through it. But there's a couple of things that Jesus did. Now, when do you think he did this? And, and, and so we have to, sometimes when we're preaching, we have to time date things. He humbled himself. When did he do that? Oh, back when he was in heaven. So, no, 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 no. He humbles himself in the earth. We're going to talk about 18 years of humbling himself. Breaking down the old flesh. Don't you know that Jesus came and that he emptied himself, it says in the second chapter of Philippians, he emptied himself, and by doing that, he took on the form of a servant. When do you suppose this happened? As a little infant in a cradle? Or as a young man? And as an adult now? A man that is growing into his years? What's he doing in this time of 18 years? He's just wasting the time? Watching a lot of TV and, and doing a lot of fishing. Well, I don't know if he did a lot of fishing or not, but I do know this, that he humbled himself. And he humbled, kept humbling himself. I've got news for you. You might humble yourself today, and you're going to get a chance to do it again tomorrow. Because God is going to raise up circumstances for you to help you humble yourself. We went through a little thing, and I'm, I, I have to say I'm proud of little Rod. Went through a thing that happened, and... and it shouldn't have happened. A guy got a wrong attitude, and and um, and Rodney was not wrong, but the man was, and and Rodney said, "You know what? I just felt like going back and apologizing to that man." That's humbling, but that's the kind of work that God does in your life. And so the Lord is humbled, and it said He subjected Himself to them, to Mary and Joseph. He is subject to them. They are telling him what to do and how to do it, and he's subject to them, humbling himself during this whole time. And then the next thing is, Hebrews, the fifth chapter, he says, though being the Son of God, he learned, oh, here's something else going on in those 18 years. He learned, and it uses the word method in the Greek, which is the same word for disciple. And now I'm going to show you, and you may already know this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you this parallel. The rabbi and the disciple. Jesus had those that were learning from him under the same Greek word. They were his disciple, what we call in English the mathen. They were his disciples. Jesus becomes a disciple. Where is it that he becomes a disciple? In the 18 years when we don't hear about him. We're not patient enough to study and be hidden in the house of God for a week. We're ready to get out and, and do exploits and, and really conquer the world and do stuff. And Jesus sets this pattern for us. 
it's going to be very difficult for us to humble ourselves to this pattern. But, but I'm going to go on. I think I got your attention here. Though being the Son of God, he learned, Mathen, he was trained as a disciple. He learned obedience. Hupaku. That means hearing and responding accordingly. That is the word that we derive the English word obedience from. And we kind of have a wrong concept sometimes of obedience, and we do it with our kids. And bless, bless the Lord, some of them aren't very obedient. And uh, we got a thing that holds our pants up, and we take that off, and we put it on their hind end. Can everybody say amen? It's still the way. <laughs> I got a kick out the other day. It was kind of a side trail, but I got a kick. I didn't know that corporal punishment was still uh, okay in the school districts in Oklahoma. I didn't even know that. And they had brought it before the legislature to, to you know, get rid of. They wanted to, to uh, revise it so that the impaired kids that were impaired in any way, that they wouldn't fall under that corporal punishment. And a guy gets up there, one of the legislators gets up there and says, if we don't spank the kids anymore, we're going to lose control of the schools. And he said, but I've got something greater than that that tells me what to do about disobedient kids. And he held the Bible up. And I was like, we're not in California anymore. <laughs> At all. <laughs> and, and so, I don't know how I got there, but Obedience, obedience, obedience is hearing and then responding appropriately. It's not just hearing and doing, it's responding appropriately. Now, this is important for the Lord because of what he says about himself. Okay, let me read it all the way through. Though he was a son, he learned obedience from that which he suffered. Using the word pathé, not pasco, but pathé. Feelings and emotions, the stress of those emotions is what this suffering is about. In those 18 years, he's not suffering the cross. That's the, the pasco. Uh, this last week or so, I think the Passover was, was it the 5th? That's Wednesday, and uh, we still celebrate the Passover. Come on, church, say amen. That was a major, major move in Christianity in the year 300 and said, we're not honoring that anymore. We're going over to Easter. Well, those that want to do that, do that. But I still honor the day of Passover. That was the day of the Lord. Amen. And so, uh, anyway, that had to do with his sufferings in the cross. But the sufferings in the 18 years has to do with learning obedience. I guess the earmark of a great disciple of the Lord is obedience. It's not casting out devils and laying hands on people. Because those people came back to the Lord and said, Lord, we've cast out devils in thy name. We have done great works in thy name. And he said, I don't know who you are. But the earmark of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are obedient to the Lord. Now, I'm not, I know that we're men. And I say this to the, have you ever said this to the Lord? I'm a man. 
But yet I bring it to him, and I say, I'm bringing everything. I'm bringing my mistakes. I'm bringing all my stuff, and I want you to help me. I get wrong. I get attitudes that aren't right. I, you know, I think wrong or, or something. Yeah, I'm a man. I'm a man. I am a man, but, but he had like passions that we have, but yet without sin. Why was it that he could go without sin? Because he learned obedience. If we learn complete obedience to the Lord, we will hear his voice when we start to go the wrong direction. Amen. So John 15, I love this. It says, how is it that this man, these are the, the, uh, the Jews, the teachers. How is it that this man is so literate, so informed of the scriptures, and he has never had formal rabbinic training? That's what they were saying. This guy knows the scriptures, but he hasn't been trained by a rabbi. How did this happen? And Jesus answers them and says this. My teaching is not mine. That's the word of a disciple. My teaching is not mine, but the one that sent me. Eighteen years of teaching and glory with his rabbi. Come on. He's comparing himself to their system, and he uses their system to show how he relates to his disciples and how that his father, his rabbi, his master teacher related to him And we're going to find it there in the book of John, 17th chapter, 18 years of glory with his mentor. Glory alongside his great teacher, Rabbi Yahweh God. See, there's this safety when, when the rabbi began to teach his disciples. That disciple didn't have to come out with his own doctrine. He didn't have to come out with his own ideas and make things up. He simply just listened to his rabbi. And in doing so, he repeated the same things that his rabbi taught him. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. My teaching is not mine. He has stripped himself. He has taken on man. He is limited in the form of man. He's limited to a human brain. He has to learn, and he learns those things where 18 years of teaching from his rabbi, his father, the glory that was enjoyed with him. Before the world was, and I I don't have time to just get into John 17 about the particulars of this verse. But what he's trying to say in this verse is not the glory of before the world became. The word cosmos in the 17th chapter of John simply means the system. It was the system of Jewry. Before I went into the system of Jewry, the glory that I had with you for 18 years. Let me put it that way. He will use that word 19 times in, in the chapter 17th chapter of John to say, one time he says, I'm no longer in the world. It's because he is no longer in the system. 
So when he uses this in John 17, he's referring to a time. Not in eternity somewhere. Christ is born in the earth. Can everybody say amen? Christ is born in the earth. Let's get rid of the idea Christ is born in heaven somewhere. He's not born in heaven. He's born in the earth. When we get to John 3.16, does everybody know John 3.16? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believed on Him should not perish, but have eternal life. When we break down in the Greek, it said God loved the world this way. That He gave His Son the only begotten to the world. But He doesn't give Him to the world until He's baptized in Luke 4 at 30 years old. He doesn't give him to the world at 12. He doesn't give him to the world as an infant. He gives him to the world as a man who has been trained and learned and understands what his father wants implemented as the rabbi of his life. He will do exactly what his father has showed him and no more. They don't understand this, you know. Maybe you heard this morning say, I don't understand this either. But it's clear to me that Jesus, by his obedience, that's why he says, the things that I say, they don't come from me out of this human mind and flesh. That's, that's not what it is. But the things that I say to you, and that's why he could say, the things I say, they are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing, he says. If he was speaking out of his flesh to them, then it would profit them nothing. But he's speaking out of his spirit to them. And the things that he's speaking out of the, to them is coming from his fatherness, which is in him, when he says, I and my father are one. And everything he is learning in his human flesh comes from the spirit of God teaching him how to be a man and walk in this world. I'd rather go to the Pentecost way. It's easier. I'll lay hands on you, and you, you might speak in tongues or something, and you're good to go. No, no, time out. Time out. We're going to be like Jesus. We've got to go all the way back to humbling ourselves and learning how to be obedient. Everybody say amen. Are you happy now? Well, you're going to be happy. I'm almost done. No. I've, I've got to show you this. John 17, though. The last act of obedience of Christ. The time has come. Glorify the Son now. The time has come. The last act of obedience, is, and it's listed also in, in Philippians 2, is going to be the death of the cross. You see, he'll never go to the cross if he doesn't know how to be obedient back here. And so for 18 years, and then the scripture in, in, in uh, Hebrews, the fifth chapter says that he was perfected. How many of you believe that Jesus was perfect? And if you don't, you're not a partner with me. I believe he was perfect. But he was perfect because he learned obedience to God. And in the flesh that he was in and the limits that he put on himself, 
He took obedience before anything else. He was obedient to the Spirit of the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. So look at this. Look at this. John 17, the last act he will do of obedience is the death of the cross. And then the glory. The inseparable glory of Father and of Son. Listen to this. Eliminating, I made this up, eliminating any possibility of individual distinction any longer. He is obedient unto death. And I like the way that that Paul says it in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above all names. Come on, give me a name, any name. And I want to tell you, the name of Jesus is above it. You say, well, I I believe, you know, fathers. No, no, no. The name of Jesus, Yeshua, is above all names. And let me tell you, the glory is not separate. The glory is inseparable. In fact, it has combined father and son to the point that there is no distinct difference that the glory of God is the glory that is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the glory of God. But it never happens without the 18 years of humbling and becoming obedient. Perfect proof. I am my father. You got that shield? I've got to put this up here because I I haven't used these things very much recently. This is not out of the Bible, just in case you wanted to know. This is the Catholic doctrine, the Catholic shield of God. This is not the truth of the gospel. Let me just leave it up there for a minute. It says, I'm going to tell you what, when we became Protestant, we didn't break away far enough. Wish that we would have left their God somewhere else and dragged their things over to where we're at. No, there's just one glory. Everybody say amen. There's not two glories. So when it says the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is not Holy Spirit, the Father is not the Son, the Father or the Son is not the Spirit, is nothing more than a direct disobedience of the Scripture. I'm here to tell you this morning, the Father is the Son. Same glory. Same God. There is no distinction. It has been gone because the Son in the flesh has been 1,000% obedient to everything that God designed that the Son in the flesh would be accomplished it all, finished it all, hanging on the cross, says it is finished. So not just the sacrifice for sin, not just some of the old ways and patterns of the Old Testament, but everything that God had designed for Christ to be is done, it's finished, it culminates in the glory and one single glory of God. 
Father and Son, the mystery of God, the glory of God. You can take it down now. I don't want anybody to get any matter than what they are. So becoming obedient was the focus for those 18 years. I'll go quick now. And this rabbinic concept was served as generational. See, succession. Succession is a major thrust, thrust of this rabbinic system. But in this line, Jesus is the author and the originator of our faith. Which came from his father inside of him. And the invisible became visible in Christ. The unhearable became heard in Jesus Christ. The unknowable became knowable in Jesus Christ. The eminence of the transcendent was manifested to us in Rabbi Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And from there, the teaching was handed to his apostles. I want you to know that he didn't give the apostles a free hand to do whatever they wanted to do. He said, you're going to do what I did. And from the apostles, it began to be handed down generation after generation. Why do you, why do you think Jude was so ardently distressed when he said we must contend for the faith that was once delivered because there's been men that have crept in unawares they're going to take the faith all over the place they're going to they're going to remove it and change it but we're going back to the faith the one faith that Jesus delivered to his disciples which delivered to their disciples and their disciples and their disciples for generations after generation and we have the book we have the record we we know what they taught we know what they preached why don't we do it Because we haven't learned the obedience that Jesus walked in. We just haven't learned that obedience. And I say, God help us. God help us. And so, preachers everywhere want their parishioners to use this verse that says, Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. Have you ever heard that if you've been in church? Oh, sure you have want all the parishioners to obey, and they themselves have excused themselves from the process of humbling and learning to obey God. And for that reason, pulpits are filled with men who never learned obedience to the, to the Lord or His Word. Some unqualified system ordained them to preach. Therefore, pews are filled with people who will never have and never will understand that they need obedience more than sacrifice in their life. So I want to become like Rabbi Yeshua Jesus. If that's your desire, humble yourself and learn obedience and be passionate about it. Jesus was passionate about it. He wanted to know where he was and who he was and what he needed to do. And he learned to obey what a wonderful Savior. Amen. So we found both sides of the scope. It's like Paul said, I know how to go down, and I know how to go up. And in all of these things, all these things, God is teaching us the obedience of Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? God bless you. We love you. I yelled at you for a while, and I didn't mean to, you know, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings.
Just want to get the word of God out there. Just want to get the word of God out there. You know, we've gone to church for so many years to feel cushy. Somebody said this, people feel bad enough about the world, and they come into church, they don't need to feel bad. Well, there might be something to that. But let me tell you what will make you feel good, though. Get in line with what God has for your life. And then you can walk every day, even out in the world where it's rough and bad, you can still walk in the peace and joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? So this is why we teach the Lord. We follow Him. We follow Him in His pattern. So, Lord, I want to be like you. Lord Jesus, we ask you now.